Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. I don't think there are two sides to the justice issue. There's injustice and there's justice. There's no debate to be had. We don't have to hear dissenting voices on this. On this, there is one damn side. And on that side, I am alive on this side, and my life matters on this side, and my kids' lives matter on this side, and my anger should be recognized on this side, and I am right on this side. Powerful words there from our guest today, New York Times op-ed columnist Charles Blow. Hello, everyone. I'm David Chalian, the CNN political director. This is The Daily D.C., The autopsy report released this week showed George Floyd tested positive for coronavirus. And at the time of his death, Floyd was one of the millions of Americans out of work due to Minnesota's stay-at-home orders. Floyd had the disease in early April, but he survived the pandemic that has taken the lives of over 100,000 Americans this year, only to fall victim to a different plague facing black and brown people in America, dying under the knee of Officer Derek Chauvin. Small example of how interconnected the major events in this country truly are right now. A pandemic, an economic shutdown, and the killing that led to America boiling over. So joining me now to discuss that and more is Charles Blow. Charles, thank you so much for being here. Really appreciate it. Happy to be here. What do you make, Charles, of the intersection right now of COVID and the pandemic and what we are seeing play out with the response to George Floyd's death and murder. I ask that because this moment in time doesn't seem disconnected. I think those two things are interconnected, but I I, want to hear what you make of that. And we learned this little detail that George Floyd actually had tested positive for COVID-19 as a part of the autopsy. We learned that. Not that that had anything, it seems, to do with the cause of his death, obviously. But uh, yet again, it just seems that this moment in time, these stories are intertwined. I think that what has happened is that all of Black people in particular's inequities and oppressions have been exposed at the same time, right? So what COVID was showing was that hyper-segregation and oppressions had led to you having pre-existing conditions that left you more vulnerable. That that issue, that segregational issue in major cities North and West cities as well had shown you that that was true. There was also the inequity of healthcare that had led to you being more vulnerable to death, that led to you being less available, less able to get tested. All of that was happening. The COVID had also exposed the vulnerability and the oppression in education. Your kids were home. Some of you didn't even have Wi-Fi. You didn't have a computer. They couldn't go to school like the other kids could. All of that was happening. You were also more likely, if you were Black, who had to file for unemployment, to have lost your job. The economic strains on your historically Black colleges were greater 
than they were if you were at another school. Everybody was also in the house. And on top of it, for a couple of weeks, there was a string of events that were outrageous. There was Ahmaud Aubrey's killing while he was jogging in Georgia. There was Brianna Taylor killing in her home. There was the woman in Central Park who was, you know, put on her best Academy Award performance to say that this man was attacking her when he was watching birds. And then on top of it, we watched this man be killed on live TV. It was all just too much. And I think it, it left you feeling done and exhausted and tired and fed up. And you were at home. And so people went onto the streets. Yeah. And you say the unemployment piece, and, and we also see disproportionately people who are employed, black and brown people, are doing some of these essential frontline jobs where they're at most risk. And that was a, that is an incredible point. It shows you that your jobs were the essential jobs, right? And, you know, if, if you were like me, you were paying attention, all the videos that were circulating of people while doing this essential work, delivering packages, delivering food, being accosted, police being called on you. you. What are you doing here? Why are you, you know? And you realize like, oh, so you need me to go risk my life to make the world work so that you can stay home and be safe and make cooking videos. It's just an outrage on top of outrage on top of outrage. And that is the backdrop where we see plain and simple with George Floyd, just the failure of institutions in this country. You wrote last week about police brutality, sort of state policy failing black people. What do you mean by that? Well, I want to say this. You say it's the failure of the institutions. I'm going to flip that around and say this is the success of those institutions because it is designed to do exactly what it's doing. It literally is designed to do exactly what it's doing. I guess I meant the failure of what they should be doing, but I take your point. Right, right, right. So the criminal code is written on a local level. There's a federal criminal code, there's a state criminal code, right? So it's written on a state level. And we write the laws in ways that disadvantage black people in particular, a lot of them, a lot of these laws. But you don't even have to say the words black or white or anything because you know the effect of it will be that it disadvantages. And so the states continue to operate under those laws. They can, Many of the states, particularly in the South, continue to not have a hate crimes law because they know what it would mean. None of this is happenstance. None of this magically happened by accident. There are very few accidents in America. This is systemic. You're pointing to what that phrase points to. This, yes. Absolutely. Absolutely. And what systemic racism allows is it allows you to have racism without explicit racist. So your hands can be clean. You know, you can be like, I don't participate now. I don't believe in racism. Ha ha ha. I'm going to my Walmart, drinking my $8 latte in, in my $80 yoga pants, and I'm just living my life. But you live in a system and benefit from a system that is explicitly racist. You've also written about what you call the power of despair. How does this unique moment illustrate how people of color are reaching a breaking point. And and I feel like we use the term breaking point, Charles. We use that a lot as we see events unfold in society. Is this an actual breaking point? I think that history has to judge that. We are in the middle of it, so we can't see it. We know it's big. Breaking point is interesting. Like, I thought, I'm 50 years old in August, so I thought Rodney King was a breaking point. We saw it on tape. 
And they were all like, how does that work? So I thought that was a breaking point. It wasn't. I thought the dragging death of the man that tied him to the back of the truck in Texas and drug his body down the street was a breaking point. It wasn't. I thought Trayvon Martin was a breaking point. It was, it's on and on and on and on. So I don't know. I think history has to judge it. I do always say, though, that the rage is a, is an expensive emotion. It is impossible as a human being to sustain it. You try because your, your cause is righteous, but you can't hold it up. So what you have to do is try to squeeze out of those moments something that lasts longer than you can last. And whether or not we do that this time is, is a question. And the president is not a person who would be the force that could do it. So it's hard to see how that works. But I do see that the intensity of these protests not just this week, but like over the last years, keeps intensifying, right? So this is bigger than Ferguson. Ferguson felt big. And the marches after Trayvon Martin was killed felt really big. This is bigger than that. America pays a cost when it does not pay attention. Uh, And I hear as you go through that history... Yes, we need the vantage point of history. I I take your – we are in the middle of it. It is impossible for us to know if this truly sends the country in a new direction or with a new commitment. But you are right. It feels bigger. I guess my question is what would you be looking to see or what would you use as sort of benchmarks to know – that it was a breaking point. What should happen from here? As you said, it's an expensive emotion rage. So where does that get channeled when it inevitably subsides? What would you look to see how this mobilization of Americans right now go from from this moment to the next moment to show us we're on a new trajectory? One thing is it doesn't go away. I still think about Tamir Rice. And every time I think about it, I feel like I want to, like, scream or cry or whatever. It doesn't go away. And what you realize is that that was never dealt with. And every one of these things that happens in your life, these big benchmarks, you just absorb it. But you keep absorbing trauma, it's going to keep coming out. One of the things that I want to know is that America can be responsive. Right. That if you can show me, you'll do something. It's, it's, it's no different than gun control or any other issue. If you let all these people get slaughtered in the street, in a movie theater or whatever, and you do nothing, that is traumatic because it says you are not even responsive to this, that you will wait. Until so what people- does what does an America response look like when you say I want to know if America is going to be responsive? It looks like the Civil Rights Act of 1964. Fair Housing Act of 1968. It is, I hear you, I see you, there is pain, and we are going to do something. It looks like the Supreme Court on marriage equality. It looks big. It looks like, I hear you, I was in a different place, and now I'm willing to change my position to accommodate your humanity. That's what it looks like. And there is nothing that's happening right now that says that our government is willing to do that on any level. Don't tell me you added body cameras. This man was being filmed on George Floyd's neck. Being filmed, he saw the cameras. He didn't care about a camera. He didn't care about a camera. There is no technological fix to a cultural problem. We'll be right back with a lot more from Charles Blow. 
Welcome back to The Daily DC and our conversation with New York Times op-ed columnist Charles Blow. I have to ask you, uh, Charles, about this op-ed from Senator Tom Cotton in your newspaper, The New York Times. Headline on it is, quote, send in the troops. A lot of people obviously been talking about this. A lot of your colleagues at The New York Times, uh, African-American colleagues, have been responding to the decision of the opinion editors to run this op-ed. I'm curious, what's your reaction to Senator Cotton's approach and, and to the paper's decision to run the op-ed? Well, the paper's decision, those are my bosses. They, they make the choices. I don't make them. You know, I, it's the only limited thing I can say about that. So, however... We know what's going to happen. You know what that says. That is putting people's lives in danger, right? So this is not a matter of opinion to me. I don't think there are two sides to the justice issue. There's injustice and there's justice. There's no debate to be had. We don't have to hear dissenting voices on this. On this, there is one damn side. And on that side, I am alive on this side and my life matters on this side, and my kids' lives matter on this side, and my anger should be recognized on this side, and I am right on this side. And when people decide what Cotton is saying, it would put my life further in danger that's already in danger. I do not agree with the idea that he's expressing in that piece, not one bit. I want you to hear something that President Obama said yesterday. He started the event by, for the first time on camera, addressing the, what we have seen play out across this country in the last 10 days. Here's President Obama. We have seen in the last several weeks, last few months, the kinds of epic changes and events in our country that are as profound as anything that I've seen in my lifetime. I know enough about that history to say there is something different here. I mean, you referenced the 60s when you were saying this is what American responsiveness will look like, like it did in 63 or 68. President Obama seems to be suggesting there that this is one of those moments and perhaps even more profound. Could be. Like we said before, history is going to have to show me that. Like the power structure in America is going to have to show me if it is that. What I am saying is that America taught black people what despair feels like. Because every time you thought you were making an advance, and in fact the numbers and stats said you were making an advance, society told you that they would not allow that, they would not, they would not condone that happiness. When the slaves were free, they didn't give them anything. Not a thing. They said they were going to do 40 acres of mule reparations, nothing. They left those plantations with nothing, and they went across this country, and they created small, thriving communities that had their own economies, their own health infrastructure, and everything. Because white doctors wouldn't see you. White banks wouldn't bank with you. You had to make it yourself. And they made them, and systematically, across this country, they burned those places to the ground. We just passed the 99th anniversary of Tulsa, Oklahoma massacre, what they call Black Wall Street. They burned those places to the ground. We thought during the Civil Rights Movement that that was a tremendous advance. And literally on the heels of it, mass incarceration started to creep up every single time. So it's hard for me to know if this is one of those moments. But I do know that these kids now grew up in the wake of Trayvon Martin's killing and in the wake of George Zimmerman walking out of that courtroom, a free man to go and auction off that gun that he used to kill that boy with, 
and sell Skittles bags and autograph with his name on it and all sorts of obscenities. I do know they grew up in the wake of that. And so America is said to them, he is dead and it does not matter to us. That's what that's the message it sent to those kids. And so they live in that. And since him, all these other ones have happened and they have, you know, the technology of cell phones in their hands. So they keep seeing videos of how America says it does not matter to us. You are collateral damage in this war. And that is a dangerous position that America has put these kids in because they say, you don't care, then we don't care. Do you see any hopeful signs in in just some of the things that we're seeing today? uh, Robert E. Lee statue coming down in Richmond, major companies now and CEOs, uh, corporate America promoting social justice and statements online and some of their behavior internally in ways that I don't think that we've seen at the level that they're doing so now. Athletes like Drew Brees apologizing for comments that were the norm not that long ago. Are those hopeful signs to you? I think all, all good acts are good. However, this is all about power. In the end, This is all about power. Until the power shifts and is more equitable, the behaviors will not shift and be more equitable. And we just have to understand that. Like, people are oppressed economically. It's a real thing. And it's all up and down. Like, if your name sounds black, you don't get a call back on the interview. Like, all the studies, the tomes and tomes and tomes of studies that say how you are... You, you know, you get sold the worst housing loan rather than the better one consistently. You get the worst rates. The payday lenders are in your neighborhood in every way. That's economic power. It's all about that. So, yes, they can make statements. That's a good thing. They can, people can, you know, all the good micro actions are good actions too. But it is the macro actions that are wanting because those actions are truly about power. And there is money to be made off of my pain. There is money to be made by locking people up. There is money to be made by hyper-policing because you can increase fines and you can increase what they call police contacts with people. And if you go to any city, to your listeners, do this experiment. Go to your city budget and look and see how much they have budgeted to receive in revenues from criminal fines. Because they are banking The city is banking on touching my body. They are banking on increasing the fines on me. When they pour that new sidewalk outside your house and you think that's a lovely thing, remember, part of that money came from somebody's flesh because they were banking on those fines. That's about power. New York Times op-ed columnist Charles Blow, thank you so much for chatting with us today. I really appreciate getting your insights. Thank you. And I want to offer a special thanks to our listeners as well. Remember, we publish a new episode every weeknight. So please subscribe on your favorite podcast app. While you're there, consider leaving a rating or a comment. It helps other people find the show. And if you want to tweet about this podcast, please do so. Use the hashtag TheDailyDC. Stay safe, stay healthy. We'll see you tomorrow. When you work, you work next level. And when you play, you play next level. 
And when it's time to sleep, Sleep Number smart beds are designed to embrace your uniqueness, providing you with high-quality sleep every night. Sleep next level. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, the Queen Sleep Number C4 smart bed is only $1,599. Save $300 for a limited time, only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Prices higher in Alaska and Hawaii. Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number smart bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com.